Recording? Yep. All right. Bienvenido a nuestro Casa de la Mente. Somos tres amigos y uno de nosotros, nosotros está borracho. Uh, my name is Steven, and I am slightly hungover and fighting with a loved one this weekend. But I am currently drinking an extra large coffee, which I think I've just polished off, and that will probably solve both problems entirely. You're probably wondering who else is on this show. Experts, identify yourselves. Avery, you go first. Oh, uh, well, some people call me Avery. Some people call me the Black Fedora Man. People call me the token Black Guy at Ola's Rig. I am also... I can also be found on the Hockey News, SI, Yahoo Sports Canada, the Brian Avery Hour, Avery Sports Show, and I am still your mom's favorite podcaster. Well, that would be a good uh, name for like a early 80s uh, like comic book superhero written by Frank Miller. I am the Black Fedora. I lurk in the alleys, doling out vengeance and justice as I see fit, looking stylish and sharp and vaguely retro and yet modern. Black Fedora. Uh, Megan, who are you? Um, yeah, I'm not. I have no fedoras in my life. Um, the headless white hold. lady. Doling out justice from rooftops. Uh, I just no hat. Here in the city. And it's been spring break. I've been off of work for a week. And let me tell you, um, people should get weeks off work more often. Uh, I don't, <laughs> I'm not going to talk too long about it, but it's been a really nice week. Yeah, weeks off rule. I just realized, you know who'd be a good enemy for the black fedora? The angry white lady. Doling, <laughs> doling out injustice from rooftop cell phones. Asking to speak to a manager near you. The black fedora never. will avenge her. Actually, I think asking to speak to the manager is often fine. You're paying for a service. You should be able to insist that you get it. But that's not what we're here to talk about today. Pardon me. We Oh, you son of a gun. I just realized that my notes got deleted. I've got to go backwards in them. But we're here to talk about the Oilers. I remember what the first thing was, though, so I can just bring that up. Uh, since over the last 10 games, the Oilers are 7-2-1. and one. Let's, um, let's start out with the, the trade deadline additions. We got ourselves a Broussard for a fourth, and we got ourselves a Kulak for a second and a seventh and a William Lajeson. Uh, Megan, how do you feel those additions have gone? Um, based on the minimal hockey that I've watched since the trade deadline, I think the Broussard edition uh, seems to have been decent. Um, I saw Brett Kulak last night uh, while I was sort of watching. I was doing another podcast and it was on mute. Uh, so I have no idea how he was playing. Um, but, you know, sort of you based can on... confirm he exists. Uh, yes, I know he's there and he lost his helmet at one point in time. That's how I know that who that was. Um, I I think that, like... I think expectations maybe were high um, for what should have been done at the deadline. Um, but we, as we've talked about before, where were some of those things going to become available and for what price? And so this is one of those things where I don't know that the price they paid was too high for other of the players that they got. So I think that all told, it's probably, if it's not neutral, it's at least like moderately positive. Yeah, that's a pretty good assessment. I think the price was a tad high. But not super high. I don't know. Avery, how have you liked uh, the Kulak Broussard experience? Oh, you know, it hasn't been that bad so far. I mean, Broussard scoring his first goal in the Oiler. Kulak is a good depth of defenseman. The price is a little bit high, but I can live with it. I think they're both going to be good additions for a postseason run. I mean, they were de they're decent moves to bring in. So, yeah, I don't mind them at all. They are 
there are there okay moves I felt to bring these guys into Edmonton. Um, yeah, okay. I got two questions about them. One, as uh, many of us have mentioned, the price, no, those notes are just never coming back. Um, the price is uh, <laughs> somewhat, was, it was just a touch high. And I don't mind it on Kulak as much either, as I really think we needed somebody. And I think that Kulak uh, will fit the Manson system very well. I think he's got a good skill set for the way Dave Manson likes to play his defense. Here's my question on the Derek Broussard edition. Derek Broussard for a fourth, find at 50% retained, I believe. Fine deal. That's a good deal. No complaints there. My question is, why does a team that is already sitting two of Archibald, Fogel, Cassian, and Derek Ryan every game and has Dylan Holloway on the farm looking like he's ready to come up and contribute at the NHL level. Why do we need another depth forward? Do you know what I mean? Like it was a good deal on something that we already have plenty of in the cupboard. Why don't we just call up Dylan Holloway? Like for that matter, forget trading for a depth forward. I would have liked to have seen one go out. I would have celebrated if either Archibald or Cassian had gotten traded away. And I would have been fine with it if uh, Fogle had been traded away. Because right now he's a very expensive fourth liner. Why, like, granted, Broussard took his spot. Like, I would have liked to have seen that deal comboed with that. Like, you could have just called up Dylan Holloway. Derek Ryan had been playing better recently. You could have just hoped that kept up. Like, I know a four, uh, fourth isn't much, but... I don't know. We we just trade out a lot of depth picks for uh, short-term UFA depth that it seems like we already have. Like, we already have that depth. Even if Broussard's a slight improvement. I don't know. I just, I it addressed a weird area for me. Am I, like, complaining about nothing, do you think? Like, is, how's that sound, Megan? Well, I no, I think it's a fair question. Like, why do we, I mean, he's obviously a cheaper option than some of the guys that we have. I think Archibald going would have been an, an obvious solution, if only because he can't fly anywhere exactly. and can't cross the border. Um, so, like, it to me, that's really dumb that they didn't try and at least, like, send him to the States. Um, there's it, That doesn't make any sense to me. Um, but... I don't know. Something's working. Like, this is the other thing. Since the trade deadline, things have been working, right? And so, like, this is the other sort of question. Does it matter that they got another depth forward when the additions that they've made have seemed to have been, like I say, if not neutral, then at least, like, mildly positive? Then maybe it's not so bad. Um, Yeah, no, that's clearly true. Like, something is working, and which is why I, I can't really get mad about the Broussard addition i guess it would have just made a lot more sense to me if it was combined with someone else moving out like it's nice to get some of those depth picks back like no one of them matters but they add up in uh what's the way in aggregate you lose enough of them and you start to wish you had more of them um kicking around but i don't know like you said something has been working the team's uh seven two and one and while the goaltending has been better it has not been Amazing. Like both Smith and Koskinen have had some very good games uh, since trade deadline, but they both had some very bad games like the the nine five loss to Calgary being the big one. But even other than that, they both like mixed in plenty of sub 900 starts with a couple of uh, great games for wins. Like if you look at their season, like I'll put it this way, Koskinen's save percentage has gone down since last time we talked. He's no longer the terrible goalie that he was in December, but he's bounced back up to what is probably his established level at this point of his life, which is like a mediocre backup. 
and Mike Smith has been a slightly sub-mediocre backup. Um, so they've both been less terrible, but neither of them is looking like a starter, and yet we are still 7-2-1. and one. The Oilers are outscoring their problems. Should we be happy about that, Avery? Uh, you know what? You can do it in, in regular season, but come playoff time in this era, it, it, it's a very tough thing to try to outscore your problems. Come a seven-game series against, say, the Kings, the Flames, the Golden Knights, whoever it may be. I don't think you can do that because we see in the postseason, good teams get past the first round with good goaltending. They're not winning these games 6-5, 7-5, 6-1. doesn't happen. So they're going to have to find a way to lock things down come playoff time if they do make it, which you most likely will. Because track meet hockey in NHL, in the playoffs at least, doesn't happen very often. We saw it happen against Winnipeg where it turned into that slugfest of, you know, oh, track meet hockey? Not going to happen. Where it became very defensive games and the officials stopped calling the rulebook entirely, which is still very stupid, I think, in hockey. <laughs> I hate that as well, but the... I don't know if the Oilers could entirely rely on that excuse based on this season as their power play when it's been clicking has been like the best in the league or the second best at worst. But then for a long stretch, it just stopped clicking. So even if the the refs were calling the rule bick, the Oilers would have still had problems based on how they were playing uh, a month ago. But all of a sudden they're they're scoring again. Um, I don't have any shooting percentage data in front of me, so I actually don't know if we can say that they're oh it's because they're playing better or they're just starting to get the breaks they weren't getting. As in December, it was an amazing combination of they were playing worse and they were also getting incredibly bad luck. Like both the goalies and the shooters were getting bad luck at the same time. Um, but also the the even strength numbers have uh, clearly gone up since Woodcroft's been added. So. Um, I don't know. I guess I agree that it's nice that we're scoring again, but this can't be our, our long-term goal. Megan, there's an obvious solution. What if we call up Skinner and he also struggles? What do you do then? Well, I mean, the thing with Skinner is that he's not 40. Um, and so I think that's a bonus. Um, <laughs> somehow in this media market, we seem to think that like players at certain positions need more time to develop. So maybe we can like give him a little bit of the benefit of the doubt. Um, but like, when the Oilers played the Flames and lost, was it nine to two? And the Flames scored all nine of five. their goals, or nine five, sorry. And the Flames scored all of their goals at evens. Um, that's not good. Uh, there's something about that, that that I find that I find really problematic. And the fact, yeah, nine, it was nine five because I remember tweeting that like if you're scoring five goals, especially kind of like now in this league, the way that goaltending should be, you shouldn't be losing a game, like ultimately. And it, it there you shouldn't have these games that are like, you know, six, five, seven, five, you know, that kind of stuff that sh- ultimately shouldn't be happening. If you're scoring that many goals, you shouldn't also be losing. Um, and the Oilers, I think when they're playing well, things are fine, but it seems that their goaltending is like the thing that's letting them down. So if you call up Skinner and he struggles a rational reasonable person and i realize like you know who we're speaking about so this isn't maybe necessarily possible but a rational reasonable person is going to be like oh he's young this is different than playing in the ahl like this takes some time to adjust to this on a regular basis got to give him a little bit of leeway uh in edmonton what will happen is they will want him traded immediately and nothing will ever change You heard it here first, folks. Allowing nine goals is bad. Um, Yeah, I mean, you're not exactly... uh, Well, yeah. If they call him up and he struggles, that won't be good. But I think more like 
in the immediate short term, if they call him up and he struggles, are you going to say, well, he still has the best NHL numbers of any goalie we've got going for us this team? We're going to carry him into the playoffs, or do you like the uh, savvy veteran poise of the Koskinen or the Smith? Like the Oilers have no perfect. Really, I think all their all their long term playoff eggs are in Skinner's basket uh, because I think it's pretty clear that we're not going to get Stanley Cup caliber goaltending from Smith or Koskinen. They might be able to get us out of the first round. I'd be pretty surprised if they can do more than that. Um, I'd be a little bit surprised if Skinner can do more than that, but he might be able to. Like, it seems possible. It's at least on the table, whereas I'm not sure that it is for the other two guys. I don't know, Avery, you're uh, the, the the great Skinner booster of this part of town. What do you say? You know what's something about young goaltenders in the postseason? There's been a trend in which they've been able to catch fire over, the, over, over hockey history. So I think... A, Playing skater, he has a shot. Why not? I mean, for most of the league, he's still untested for most of the league. He hasn't been a playoff series at this level before in NHL, so why not? What do you have to lose? You know what you have in Koskinen. You know what you have in, in Smith. Why not go for it with Skinner? I mean, I mean, at least say you try something different than same old, same old with Smith and Koskinen, who probably are going to lose in round one in, in six or seven games. As he go ahead for it, though, he's played well so far in AHL. He's having a good run in Bakersfield. Call him up, give him the reins, see what he can do against the Kings or against uh, the Flames, really, in my mind. A very good run in Bakersfield. Like, he has been very good. That is, I think, important to point out. We're not just saying, well, you got to try something. Like, no, he's a good-looking option. He has mm-hmm. very good AHL numbers. He's 23. That is that an age at which people, that's kind of when you graduate to the NHL. There would be nothing weird about calling him up, especially when your two other guys are, they're struggling less than they had been, but they're still not you know playing like world beaters um i do think it is i don't know if this exactly defends the goalies but it is interesting to note that in that 9-5 blowout koskinen had by far the worst save percentage uh i think he had like a 600 save percentage i wasn't sure any of the five goals that he let in were terrible i think they got like I mean, at a certain point, you're getting paid a few million dollars. The team just needs a save. I do think that is fair to say. But none of those goals were terrible. And even Smith, who had like an 850 save percentage, she still got lit up. Um, A couple of those were more savable. But even then, it wasn't exactly like he was just giving goals away. Like, Calgary scored on every scoring chance that they got. And the team gave a lot of them up. Um, A lot of people blame Nurse for their scoring chances. And I think it is fair to say he has not looked as good lately uh by lately i mean the last five or six games however um former nurse uh, apostate uh, and enemy jay fresh uh, twitter's jay fresh posted recently that he's been extremely impressed with our nurses game this year despite the last five games notwithstanding his rush defense has improved tremendously and he is looking like a seven or eight million dollar defenseman even if not a 9.5 million dollar defenseman uh megan how do you feel about the darnell nurse experience can you win with him as your number one D? Um, no, I don't no. think you can. You uh, no, I think, um, I don't know. I don't know if I have to justify it too much. No, I think the problem with him is that he's <laughs> you don't have so, to. <laughs> well, no, I just like what I've, what you see. And like, again, the question of course becomes when you start talking about the contract is like, is it worth, is he worth that much? And the answer is very clearly not. Um, which makes those extensions like prior to the last year of the deal of the current deal, they always seem so insane to me because like, I kind of feel like if they had waited until after the season to, or at this point or whatever, to start that 
conversation, I feel like that price point would have had has to have come down um, for for next season. But no, I don't. I don't think that like Darnell Nurse is better than I thought he was going to be. Um, and I mean, whatever. I don't know if my eye for talent is any good or not. But he like he's he's turned out to be better than I expected he was going to be. But I don't think mm-hmm. he's been great. He Nurse is an interesting player because I've had almost the same opinion of him at every stage in his career in that I really like this guy. I think he's a lot of fun to watch. Like as a fan, he does the things that fans like he, he skates, uh, he hits, he likes to rush the puck. Like I think he's underrated for how like exciting his uh, brand of hockey is not just the rough stuff that the old timers uh, like to get excited about, but I mean, he really likes to rush the puck. He likes to jump up. He likes to, uh, to shoot. Um, but I've, at every stage of his career, I felt he was overrated. Like I, w- there was not a point in which I wouldn't have traded him, even though I really like him. And that's not because I thought he was bad. It's because, well, he just clearly doesn't live up to his reputation. So you could get more for him than he's currently uh, giving you. And I don't think that's ever not been true. Like when he was younger and winning a lot of fights and fights were still like, I think fighting has officially stopped being seen as an important asset. Um, but there was a time when it still was, I think you could have gotten more for him than maybe his, he was bringing hockey wise to the team. And even now, like I like Darnell nurse, he's really come along. Like you said, he's, he's come further than maybe I thought he could. I thought last year. And then again, this year, he, uh, he started doing playing uh, smarter, not harder. Like he's always had fantastic uh, physical gifts, but he's learned. I think that he doesn't have to rush the puck every time. He doesn't have to skate as fast as he can at all times. Um, he can like pick his spots a little bit better. I think he's getting results on um, these developments in his game. Like that veteran presence that you were hoping for has indeed arrived. I still don't think it's arrived to create a $9.5 million defenseman. I don't think he's one of the top 10 defensemen in the league. I don't know that anyone does even like the nurse boosters. I don't know if they think that. So he's, he's just clearly still overpaid. Um, I, I don't know. One uh, person that I have been impressed with though is Cody Cece. Cody Cece is looking right now like he might be one of Holland's biggest wins. What have you thought of him playing with Nurse? That actually seems to have unlocked Cece as much as it helped Nurse. What do you think about that, Avery? How's Cece for you? You know, I you know he's someone who's impressed me a great deal. I remember when he was first brought in, you know, the whole criticism was, oh, oh no, Cody Cece, look what he did in Toronto, look what he did in Pittsburgh. He struggled, a bad deal. I will give Holland credit that. So far, for the most part this year, he's played well. He's tripped in offensively. He's been stable presence on that blue line on a team that needs defensemen who can step up. And he's been impressive to me. I, I want to see what he can do come the playoff time now. I've liked his game all year so far, Steven. Yeah, he's he's been he's another guy not actually unlike Nurse, that his whole career people have been saying, look at these physical gifts. Surely this guy is going to be one of the great uh, D. And for a long time, he was, I would say, like fairly mocked league-wide for being so far away from his reputation, but he's still a big guy who skates well and has some offensive instincts, but like uh, has a mind for, I don't know, at least he's not one of those offensive. When I say offensive instincts, he still tries to play defense. He's a guy who suddenly seems to be putting it together. And I hope that he keeps doing that. That is exactly what uh, the Oilers need. That was a signing that I uh, very strongly criticized more just because I thought they had, a guy who's half as much money, who's already uh, as good or better, but at least CC is, he's certainly delivering on his cap in, which I think is the only thing you can ask for any player. And I think maybe he's even delivering more than that. It's been, it's been great to see him. I give CC an AA. Um, Who else do we have to talk about? Megan, 
there is a divide amongst the fan base on what the priority should be. Should we do we need to extend JP and Yamo and then think about uh, maybe re-signing Evander Kane? Or do we have to get the guy who's scoring at a 40-goal pace for us this year? And then we'll see. Maybe we can bridge those other two guys or figure that out after. My Actually, my big problem for you, or big question for you first, Megan, is why can't we have all three? Why do we have to choose? Because there's a rule in Edmonton that you can only can have a certain, still there? Okay. Um, a certain number of uh, good players. Um, and you just can't have too many. And that's why we can't have all three. Um I do respect the rules, so. Um, however, however, um, I don't like Kyler Yamamoto. I just don't. Mm-hmm. I don't have a reason for it, but, like, if I was going to pick a guy to stick around, he would not be it. And so, like, I don't care if they resign him. It does nothing for me whether they do or don't, unless they overpay him, and then I'll be annoyed about it. Um, but... Uh, I think we've learned that Pugliarvi can do what we thought he could do. And he's like one of those really fascinating players uh, who is very unaware of just how big and strong he is. And I feel like if if someone can get him to figure that out, I think that would be probably a marked improvement in his game. Um, So I think a guy like him, you want to maybe bridge that. And then I like, I don't, I don't know. The Evander Kane thing is, is troubling, but like, from a hockey perspective, I guess he's doing what he's supposed to do. So if if he manages to not get kicked out of the locker room, then I guess you resign him. Uh, yeah, I got a lot of thoughts on this. So maybe I'll throw it to Avery first. Avery comments on what uh, Megan just start a fight. Tell her why she's out of her mind. Let's you see if I... Fedora. <laughs> I'm a fan. You know what? I'm a fan of draw. I'm a fan of um Kyler JP and full credit to Evander Kane. He has played well. He has now on ice. We knew Evander King coming in. We knew on ice what he would bring. He's a guy with a background of a 20-goal guy. So anyone anyone surprised he's producing this well is having been paying attention. But again, the big concern about Evander Kane has been, once again, his off-ice situations and being in a room with teammates because there's been t- he's left locker rooms and there's, been, and there's been issues in Buffalo, in Winnipeg, in San Jose, and fool me one, shame on you, fool me twice. Like, where the smoke is fire. This many teams have an issue with the guy. And then you add in the issues of personal problems. And it's a thing It's where really, I really feel Evander, it's like, you know, hey, they brought him in. He's here for the one year. And, you know, God bless, best of luck. You know, get your next contract somewhere else. That's how I feel about it. Because I don't think you, because history's proven that it's only a matter of time before something else could happen again in your room. And you don't want that to happen here in Edmonton. Other two guys, I feel like JP, the guy gets the front of the net, you want him back in a massive way. I don't understand the issues. People saying he doesn't deliver. He's not a good player, which to me is an asinine comment to say. And I'll give full credit to the management staff. When when he wanted trade, uh, this team said, no, I'm not going to trade you. They hung on to his rights, went to Finland, got better, came back. So in fact, he didn't let him walk. I thought it was incredible. And I think Yamamoto is someone, again, he's only five. He's my height. Kyler is my size at best, and he plays like he's a, he's a foot taller. I like that. I like a small guy who gets to the hard areas, doesn't get pushed around. I think you need more of the kind of guys in the roster who play bigger than their size really is, I feel. I, uh, yeah, okay, let's see. Where can I start? I'll start on Evander Kane. That's, the, I think, the, the big 
headline player as he is scoring like crazy. However, there's reason to doubt a lot of his underlying stats. Um, I think scoring empty net goals is fine. They count. Um, those help your team solidify a win. Uh, they show that you're out in the last minute. So I'm not going to knock him for those. His defensive numbers are terrible. And his even strength points per 60 is not good. He's behind Devin Shore on that. Um, but at a certain point, I do think it's fair to say, yeah, but like boxcars don't not matter at all. He is scoring at a 40 goal pace. Um, he is producing with the big guns. Um, on some level, I'm actually kind of amazed that his points per 60 is that low. Um, but even if he's just getting those, uh, power play points, those count too. Um, he is putting up a lot of offense. And the other thing people are questioning some of his underlying numbers. He has a history of being a good to very good forward. Like he was the San Jose, San Jose Sharks MVP. Uh, one of the seasons that he played there, like they, they named him team MVP. He is a historically a very good forward if anything i expect his box cars to stay high and the parts of his game that you don't like to get better um he has a lot of uh grit and jam which i think gets uh made fun of sometimes uh justifiably but that's not to say those things are useless it is nice to have a power forward someone who will drive the net hard someone who can handle himself in front of the net with big defensemen who can handle the corners who is not going to be intimidated by the other team uh trying to cross check him and stuff um I think he does bring a lot, but to your point, no matter how much you think he brings, you would be insane to go long on a guy who he hits the trifecta. Some players alienate the fans. Some players fight with management or coaches or not even just fight with like are disliked by, and some players run afoul of their teammates. This guy's done all three everywhere. He's went all three everywhere. He's everywhere. He's went. He has not had a stop. That's gone smoothly. As Megan said, he's been kicked out of dressing rooms by his teammates. I normally think character is hugely overblown because we don't know what it's actually like. Like what maybe just because a guy falls out with his teammates doesn't mean he was the bad guy. Maybe they were a bad guy and he was the only decent person there. And that's why they didn't get along at a certain point though, man, is he ever developing quite the history i'm not saying you can't resign him i'd be fine with resigning him for a one-year deal to at most if the cap hit is four million dollars or lower you just cannot go long with a guy with this history every team that has ever done it has regretted it uh it would be bizarre to ignore that as far as uh jp and yamo goes i don't know megan you're not exactly wrong like i do think kyler is overrated in some circles but he's making 1.175 we'll call 1.2 million dollars this year and he's scoring at uh, about a 45-point pace. That's pretty good return on investment for that. Um, I was criticizing him like crazy for the first half of the year because, yeah, he does a lot of things that looks good, but he needs to start scoring. He's been scoring lately. Um, do you sense anything better in Yamo? Uh, no, I think he's about what he's going to be. I don't uh, – I don't I don't know. How old is he? I don't even know how old he is. Like, I, I know very asked. little about him. He um, is 23. I, yeah, so here's the thing. He's not a super super high skilled player. Like he's not a he's not like he's not a superstar. You're not going to build a franchise around him. Um, I'm not. I don't want to say that he's peaked at 23, but like I don't know how much higher his ceiling is going to get. Um, so no, I don't think there's much more there. But you, I think it would be. I don't know. I think it would have been prudent to maybe dangle him as some trade bait because I think that there's enough there and he's young enough and cheap enough that like somebody might want to take that on. Um, but now that that has passed, uh, I'm not sure that when you're right, I'm not you're sure right. that I'm not sure that the next deal that he's going to get is necessarily going to be, um, 
favorable for the for the organization. I think he might get overpaid, and then that's going to be a problem. I'm not sure what he's going to ask for. To me, that's uh, the big question because he was scoring quite poorly despite some great line mates and uh, opportunity. I know he was, again, putting up decent underlying numbers, but he wasn't uh, doing it. But for the last 10 games, he has been. He's, um, I know he's five points in the last five games. That's what I have in front of me. And I kind of remember him going five straight goals with the game before that. So that must mean he's about a point of game player over the last 10 games. Um, so that's nice to see. I don't think he's suddenly a point of game player, but that is at least going to bring his scoring up to that 45 point range. Um, mm-hmm. That's nice. If he signs for a low number, I'll go as long as he wants uh, on a low. I think he's at least established himself to be an NHLer. And I think that something that has paid off for almost every GM that has done it is if a guy in that range of like, oh, well, we don't 100% know what he is and maybe he doesn't either. If he'll take a long-term deal, uh, give it to him. Um, had not a huge cap hit because even if he doesn't deliver, like let's say if he goes long at three or $4 million, well, probably he wouldn't take less than four long, but let's say he, he goes four times six. He's at least that at least that deal is going to be movable. So you almost can't lose. Whereas if you wait, maybe he suddenly becomes a $6 million player or something like that. And uh, now you're in a little bit of trouble. Um, so I would go long with him. If he wants to go long, he might think it's in his best interest to uh, stick to the bridge. I think that's something a lot of fans don't consider. Uh, but I totally agree with you. I think he's trade bait. If we want to get, like, let's say we let Kane walk and decide that we want to make a big trade. If we want to trade for Jason Chikrin, uh, Jacob Chikrin, pardon me, or um, Alex DeBrincat has also been rumored to possibly be on the market. If we're going for a big fish, Yamamoto is almost certainly part of the deal, as he mm-hmm. is a forward who, like you said, is young and good and cheap, but he's not so good that it, oh, we can't possibly move him. Uh, we can possibly move him. So if we make a big trade, he's almost definitely going to be a part of it. JP, though, man, exactly what you said. He's big and strong, and he gets these fantastic uh on nice results like the team scores way more with him he's not necessarily getting the points but he might like he can do that like i don't have his pace in front of him um you know i asked avery i asked you kind of to zero in on uh yamo can you just tell me a little more about what you see in yesi puyu and what you think his long like like megan talked about a little bit more what do you think about yesi avery i think yesi is someone whose game before he came before he um, went over to finland you could tell he didn't really know his role was. He's getting yo-yoed up and down the lineup between Bakersfield, Edmonton, which I thought was a major mistake in terms of developing a player. And there was no real direction for him. But watching him play right now at Edmonton, he is someone like he just knows to to get to the net. His hockey IQ is growing in a massive way um, against Arizona in that 6-1 beating. A great play he made to get dry saddled his goal is Arizona's trying to clear the puck out of the zone. And Jesse goes to the blue line and keep it in find Drysdale to the front of the net. And I don't know if he makes that play in 2016 where he knows get to the point to stop that clearing attempt. I don't know if he makes that play in 2016, 2017. In 2022, he knows get to the point, knock that puck down, and get to Drysdale who's by the net. Like, his game intelligence has grown up so much. He's the kind of guy you got to keep. And he has shown here he can be a real secondary threat scoring-wise and takes some of the pressure off of Drysdale uh, McDavid and help him out when he can play that first five minutes if need be. So I've been impressed with his game in that aspect in many ways for a long time now. He's scoring at a 50 point uh pace, like over 82 uh games, like exactly 50, which is 
you know, not amazing, again, considering the centers he's playing with, but it's pretty solid. I would say at this point, his basement is almost Travis, or Travis, uh, Zach Hyman. Um, he is a guy who, like you said, he does all the things away from the puck. He, um, I think his defensive play is somewhat overblown in some analytical corners, uh, but I think he's uh, a very, very good forechecker. I think the reason why he gets such great defensive results is he's good at keeping the puck in the ozone. Um, all the on-ice stats for the team go up with him. That kind of, to me, shows that even if he's not getting in on the points, he's doing a lot of those little things that help the points happen. Uh, yeah, I think actually he, again, he doesn't exactly throw big hits, but he is a big body and he grinds. He goes to the corner. He goes to the front of the net. He is starting to learn to use that strength. I think Zach Hyman, who's maybe my favorite oiler right now, is an excellent comparable. But like, again, this guy, even more so than Yamo, go as long with him as he'll go, is my opinion. I'm not against, I mean, I, I did say I was against bringing Kane on, so maybe it's goofy of me to say I'm not against re-signing him. Uh, but again, that's more for moral reasons. It depends what your investigation found as far as the assault allegations. If we take the assault out of it for a second and just look at Evander Kane as a hockey player and potentially pain in the ass, yeah, go ahead and re-sign him short term. But uh, if you can, but I would still deal with the two young guys who were going to get four cheaper for a really long time. Also, like Kane's 31. It's not unthinkable that he starts to regress, even if he still stays good. Mm-hmm. Um, all right, that's that's kind of the end of what I had to say about the Edmonton Oilers. Um, what uh, did you guys have anything to add before we move start going around the league Oh, and Kane's 31, well- by the way? I'm sorry. I'm just looking at their cap friendly page and I just learned a thing I didn't know. I didn't realize that they had uh, signed Nugent Hopkins to like a giant long contract. Um, oh, they don't pay attention, and that's lovely for him. Also, it's that's a great a, deal. Be, it's a, well, it's a great deal until he's about 33 and then it's an overpay. But anyway, um, yeah, so no, I'm just looking here sort of at where they're sitting, like, you know, salary wise and whatnot. And the thing I keep coming back to. Um, more than anything is I can't believe that we're going to next, next season be living in a world where Darnell Nurse makes more money than Leon Dreisaitl. That's insane. That's absolutely yeah. crazy. And I know it's only $750,000 in the grand scheme of things when they're making that much money. It's not that much. That's a shit ton of money. It is and the a... Fact that he's going to be yeah, the second highest really player on the team is, is absolutely absurd. He is not deserving of that in any way, shape, or form. I like Nurse. He scores a lot at even strength. Like for a defenseman, this is, I think, important to keep in mind. He's not racking up power play points that anybody could have gotten. He scores quite well at even strength for a D-man. His defensive numbers have improved, but I can't get to him being a nine and a half million dollar defenseman. I I just, I don't think there's any way that you can get there. That was, Holland handled that poorly at every step. He bridged him when he probably should have gone along with him. And then he went along with him a year before he had to. That price, like you said, probably would have come down. I think he overreacted to Seth Jones getting huge money. Uh, mm-hmm. Nurse is maybe, I wouldn't say Holland's uh, worst move, but it's up there. He just has not played that well. Yeah. All right. Anyway, I was just, that's all I'll, I was looking at. And I was just, that just seems absurd to me. But anyway. I think the new contract will age all right, although I'm about to advocate for something crazy in a couple minutes here. But uh, let's start with, we'll go with today, dear audience. As we were recording, uh, these things started to come up on Twitter. I don't know. Have you guys seen the highlights from the uh, Coyotes-Ducks game last night? Uh, With Jay Beagle uh, just absolutely giving it to Troy Terry for nothing? 
beating Troy Terry up and somebody else cross-checking uh, Zegris in the back. Uh, so, yeah, audience, if you haven't seen this, you haven't heard about this, basically the Ducks were winning 5 nothing, and Zegris had scored yet another Michigan goal. And this has been, in my opinion, slightly misreported on Twitter. The Ducks did not make yet another skill play, and then the, the Coyotes fought them. That is not what happened. They There was a scramble at the net, and the Ducks were digging at the puck under the goalie. Not egregiously, but that is what that is what kicked it off, was digging at the goalie, not a skill play. I think that is important. Um, and also the context of it being a 5 nothing game. I, honestly, Twitter is, in my opinion, being dishonest in how they're complaining about this. It wasn't that they made a skill play. It's that they were trying to run up the score, which you're totally allowed to do but I'm not surprised it made the Coyotes mad. Um, but go ahead. I, I sense that I'm going to be on an island on this one. Megan, how did you feel about it? Well, I think it's dumb. It, the, the dumbest thing about it was Tyson Nash being all like, you know, if you're going to, if you want to skill it up, you better be prepared to get punched in the mouth. It's like, no, that's not how this goes. Like if someone is demonstrably better than somebody else, they shouldn't expect violence coming their way. This isn't Will Smith and Chris Rock at the Oscars. This is like a professional sport where like people are better than other people. And you just, ha- and Jay Beagle of all people, like what does, what has he ever contributed to any team anywhere other than being a guy on the bench? Like, you know, Jay Beagle or Tyson Nash? Jay Beagle, like, what's he doing he's punching a, he's people a decent, in the he's face? a decent depth player. Like, he, I think he's a he's, Stanley yeah, Cup winning player. He's a depth player. Like, that's the key, right? He's, and, and I don't know. So, I think, I get it from sort of a, maybe like a showboaty perspective. I get if I guess if you get scored on when you're already down 5 nothing or whatever, and then they do that, sure, fine. But also, like, you've got Trevor Zegers out on the ice. And why maybe don't leave him alone behind the net? Like, maybe that's part of the problem. I don't know. Um, I just think that, like, hockey culture itself is probably the at, at fault here more than anything else. You're not the first person I've seen compared to Will Smith and Chris Rock. And I'm going to say that comparison does not fly for the big reason that this is a hockey game, which whether or not you think this is appropriate, there at least is an established precedent in hockey culture of cross-checking someone if they're trying to score a six goal when they're already up 5 nothing. There is no Oscar precedent. That is not an established part of Oscar culture. So while you might not like this part of hockey culture, it is a thing that the Ducks maybe should have been prepared for because that is the kind of thing that happens. Uh, Avery, what do you think? Oh, sorry. Go ahead, Megan. Keep going. I just want to say, though, if you're the Coyotes, you can't get mad. You got beat on this trick play because it is a trick play, and that's fine. I don't have a problem with it. You can't get mad that you got beat on it when you know, A, that he's capable of doing it, and B, you leave him alone behind the net. That's not what they're getting mad at. That is not what started the fight, though. What started the fight was the goal had already been scored in the past and they were digging at the goalie like the puck was under the goalie's legs and Zegris dug at it a couple times. It wasn't anything egregious. I don't think Zegris was being evil. If it was a 5-4 game, nobody would have uh, said anything. But in a 5 nothing game, if you were like working hard and kind of like going to the to line, digging underneath the goalie to get that sixth goal, yeah, that's almost always, that, that would make somebody mad in beer league. I would expect to get shoved over that. That's so not maybe really I wouldn't expect to get punched in the face like uh, like uh, Jay Beagle did to Troy Terry, but the yeah. cross check to Zegers's back didn't shock me at all. I don't know, Avery. Yeah, what do you think? Sorry, you can keep going if you want to, Meg. I was just reacting. No, it's okay. To the, I'm just I'm just pause. watching the video right now. So you guys go ahead. 
Okay. I'll I'll relook at it myself. You know, I think the whole I think the um okay, so there's the cross check that what happens, whatever, but Tyson doesn't need to add the whole these young players and their moves. Like, why is that needed in that moment? Like, what does that do? Like, what does that do beyond perpetuate and continue the stereotype that hockey culture is never gonna change? That hockey culture is caveman logic. Like, we need everybody to be encouraging Zegers and these guys to do what they do. You don't see in basketball, um, someone saying, Oh, add Steph Curry shot from 40 feet again. Someone needs to punch him in the face. It doesn't happen. You don't see in football, Patrick Mahomes, no look pass. You don't see someone say, Oh, a linebacker should break his leg. What? Only in hockey do we keep this perpet this culture of too flashy, you should get some violence towards you. It makes no sense at all. Don't like a guy do get Michigan behind the net? Then stop him. Don't like a, don't like the Michigan pass? Then stop him. Do something that stops the goal. And what do you do? Okay, Zegers was in Michigan again. You punch him in the face. Guess what? It's uh it's a penalty for you. You're out of the game. They're, they go and then goes in the power play, and they play score again. What does that do beyond beyond keep up, up beyond uphold these old stupid values of oh respect the game, respect the culture. Don't embarrass like, your opponent. Don't embarrass your opponent. We're talking to guys who are making six figures. What? Grown men. Grown I want to agree with you more because on that point, I agree. If you don't like the other team scoring, play better defense. Again, this it, it would be different if this was beer league or even like an international friendly. This wasn't. This is professional hockey. Everyone here is making very good money. You don't want to get scored on. Don't let the other team score on you. You don't want to let the other team make a skill play on you. Learn to defend the skill play. At a certain point, however, once again, the score was 5 nothing. The game was, let's see, it was five minutes left in the third period. Uh, the game was well in hand. And I this, I feel like people are getting distracted by the Tyson Nash comment as opposed to what actually happened. That was not in response to a skill play. It was in sure, response it to yeah. them digging at the goalie. So, yeah, yeah if you're digging no. at the goalie in a 5 nothing game... I think you should be prepared to get cross-checked in the back. That actually doesn't bother me at all. The idea no, the of like, cross-check in the back isn't, I don't think, is the issue. Because I'm just watching it here again. And what I can tell, I didn't watch the game. I only saw the highlights and people yakking about it on Twitter. Zegers poked at the goalie's leg one time. Yeah, he cross-checked in the back. He wasn't, like, digging and digging and digging. He poked literally one time, gets cross-checked. Troy Terry comes in, and then Jay Beagle just unloads on him. And that's fine. Like, maybe Terry doesn't need to come in that way. However... I don't necessarily think that you need to cross-check somebody in the back when they've poked at your goalie's pad one time. Like, I get I, it if it's, like, that repeated thing, but he's just, like, if the whistle hasn't gone, and I don't know, and I don't have the audio on because that'll yeah, mess up our recording. Um, and so I don't know when the whistle went, and if the whistle went as Zegers is digging, then I think that's a fair play, and I think the cross-check is unnecessary. If the whistle's already gone, that's a different question. I would agree that it wasn't so bad, like, well, you have to cross-check that guy. Because you're right, he did only really poke at it once, and then he just kind of stood there, and he, like, like the play was stopped when he got cross-checked. I don't think the cross-check was necessary. I don't think it was shocking. If it stopped there, I don't think this would be on anyone's highlight reel. It really was the fight combined with the Nash comment. And maybe, honestly, maybe I'm addressing this wrong. Maybe the thing that everyone's getting worked up about isn't even uh, the Beagle attacking Terry. Maybe it's mostly the quote. So if what you're complaining about people more is the coat, which if you haven't heard it is, that's the problem with these young players. You want to embarrass guys. You want to skill it up. You better be prepared to get punched in the mouth. 
which once upon a time, like as Avery was saying, that like was hockey culture. Not that you can't skill it up. It was never that you can't skill it up. It's that you have to back up defending someone. Part of what they, part of the defense against super skilled players wasn't just a good stick check. It was, I'm now going to come fight you because I don't like what you did. So you had to be, that's one of the reasons why guys like uh, Shanahan and, um, uh, Rick Tockett was another one. Why they were so valuable is because they could score and then turn around and fight the defenseman who was going to come cross-check them. We're saying that's no longer an essential skill. Uh, mm-hmm. That's, you know, I think that's reasonable. I don't think you should have to fight to defend any kind of legal play. I would even extend that to hits. I don't like it when guys have to fight to defend legal hits. Um, it's really the running up the score that makes it different in my mm-hmm. mind. Which, again, I don't even think there's anything wrong with running up the score. It's... Uh, it, it kind of depends on how you do it. I, I will say, I think Beagle is probably going to get suspended for this, or at least fined, mm-hmm. I expect, or maybe the coach will be. Um, someone's going to get something, and I think that is appropriate. The thing that I'm more personally reacting to is I feel that this is being misrepresented. It wasn't that it was a skill play. It was that poking at the goalie in a 5 nothing game, which I think if Tyson Nash doesn't put that quote over the top of it, I mm-hmm. think this is getting a different response. Of course. But I just, in watching this video, I just, I want to give Louis Erickson all the props in the world um, because he like pulled Zegers away from it. And as he did, he was like talking him down as an opponent and just being like, let's, like, you don't need to be part of this right now. I'm going to give him full credit because that's not something that you see every day. Um, but no, I like in just watching it again, I mean, I don't know. Like, I get, I understand. And if it's a five nothing game, and you see the guy, this is the thing. You see the guy who embarrasses the goalie, because he did, like Zegers did before when he scored the Michigan, like he does. He embarrasses everybody on the Coyotes team who's out on the ice. And then he's like in the crease poking at your goalie. And like, I get it. But again, without seeing it with the audio and knowing when the whistle comes, yeah, I don't know. Um, I'm looking for, okay, I'm watching a replay of Zegers's, uh goal earlier. To be honest, the main thing I'm looking for is the timestamp. Oh, it was in the first period. Yeah, and this is so, in the third period. Yeah, this is at the end of the third. And so yeah. I'm sure that they were not psyched about what the goal in the first period. But um, I think that Tyson, to be honest, I think that Tyson Nash was somewhat wrong. And, oh, it's because these young guys were skilling it up. Uh, like, the, the fact that it was a 5 nothing uh, game with a couple minutes left in the third like this goal, I just watched it. He didn't do a super big celebration. It contextually made a lot of sense. He didn't go out of his way to show off. He did a move that made the most sense at the time to score a goal. Uh, and the Coyotes don't, honestly, they don't seem that upset about it. They're not no. losing their minds over like, oh, how dare he? Like, oh yeah, that was just a very sensible play to make when he made it. And he no. scored a goal and he's not like hot tie. Everybody's like, yeah, that's fine. I, th- I feel like this is being misreported. Mostly because wild, of like- the Tyson Nash quote. Which is why my thing is that Tyson's comment is weird because why are you making this comment two periods later? Why is this comment coming two periods later after the goal happened? Like it doesn't correlate. It doesn't make any, it doesn't make any sense to come just make that kind of comment. I mean, you know what? We'll make the comment after the goal is scored right there and then. Okay, whatever. Make that comment two periods later. Like that doesn't make any sense to me. Like what? What? How can you try and connect that to a goal from two periods earlier? That to me is horrible timing. It's irrelevant at that point in time. It's a horrible thing to say, and again, it just makes you look like you you're afraid of skill 
coming into the game. And quite frankly, like I said before, I don't care about running up the score. It is the NHL. This is the highest league in the world. You want to beat a team five zip? You want to keep going for it? You're up five zip, ten zip? I don't care. It's the NHL. We're not dealing with it. Isn't junior hockey? You're not playing an inferior international team. These are the best teams in the world. And if you get any feelings about it, that's too that's too damn bad. I'm sorry. I, well, okay, I'll I'll say there. I'll push back on you a bit. I'm going to get accused of uh, devil's advocating and defending everybody, but whatever. I think it's appropriate here. The coyotes are human beings, also. That's like you could say, like, ah, if you got feelings. That's too bad. I don't know. That's a good recipe for being perpetually disappointed by everything that happens in the world. Feelings are a large part of how people make decisions. So. If you notice, hey, man, the other team seems really upset that we're kicking the hell out of them. If you want to continue to kick the hell out of them, yeah, sometimes one of them's going to punch one of your guys in the face. Like, welcome to life on Earth. That's I'm not even saying it's fair, but, like, that is the reality in which we live. Uh, if you make someone mad enough, they will react to it. And, like, you, you're, this is the NHL argument. That goes both ways. This is the NHL, where sometimes when people get mad, they're allowed to punch people in the face. You might not like that, so if you want, you can, like, say, hey, we should get that part of hockey culture out of hockey culture but it's there right now so you it, should it behooves you to be aware of it well but i just think would... like if you compare the nhl and compare this kind of thing and like these highly skilled players like if you said you know patrick Mahomes or you know whatever like you're not gonna i, I don't know that that's like i don't know but, that but, that's but comparable the, well and that's the problem is it's really not because like in so many other sports um, like people get mad in baseball if somebody admires their long ball just a little bit too long, right? Yeah. Or like the or like Bautista's bat flip just made people angry because it was so obnoxious. Um, but like thinking about basketball or football or whatever, if someone makes a great catch, like in a football game, mm-hmm. guys on the other on the other sideline are often impressed by it, even though that's their opponent in the moment. Like it's one of those things is like, Holy shit, that was incredible. And hockey doesn't have that same. Doesn't have that necessarily that same appreciation, like in game of some of the things that people can do. Cause basketball is the same way. You'll see sometimes like, you know, just like an outrageous dunk and guys on the opposite team are just like, Oh my God, I can't believe we just watched that. And there's that appreciation for the skill of the players that are on the other side and hockey doesn't have that in that in-game appreciation you'll hear players talk outside of the game about who their favorite player to watch etc but it's not the same kind of like sit and watch sort of thing and part of that is just that whole hockey culture team first thing that exists in hockey separately than it exists anywhere else and i think that's part of what happened here the reason why i don't think football is a great comparable is there's no humble version of a great catch like you know, if, if a ball is thrown where the only way you can catch it is to leap out and squeeze one hand around it while doing a ninja roll, that's the only <laughs> way you can do it. So if you do that, people are like, fair enough, man. That was your only option available. Whereas in uh, hockey, you don't have to put the guy through a guy, put the puck through a guy's legs. You could dump it in. You could just try and go wide on him. You could just shoot from wherever you were. There is a quote unquote humble version of that move. Like you elected to try to do the high skill thing that makes yourself look cool. And I want to say I 100% agree with you. All those high skill plays are good. That is part of the hockey. Uh, that's part of like the game. You're not doing anything outside. People should be encouraged to do high school moves. And I disagree with Tyson Nash that you should have to back up high school a high skill move by then fighting the guy you went around. Uh, that doesn't make any sense to me. Um, so on on that one, I think we're we're in agreement. Uh, Zegers should be encouraged to do this kind of thing. Uh, I don't know that the other team should be obligated to be pumped about it but um 
I don't know. I just think it's funny how hockey is afraid of players finding new ways to score. Other sports don't other sports don't resist finding new ways to score like hockey does. If hockey like I don't understand the idea of wanting hockey games to players to try and score the same way he scored 50, 60 years ago. How does that help the game grow? If players aren't always finding new ways to beat the opponents, to get a puck past the goaltender, it should be encouraged. That's how this sport will grow for the next 20 to 30 years. And there's still this pushback of people who say, no, that's wrong. No, that's embarrassing. Who are in a, who are, who are stunting the game growth. Because if you can encourage kids or new players to find a way to score and and don't give me that crap. People, like, people like to say, you know, oh, what about the fundamentals? Trust me. Charles Egress, his fundamentals are just fine. He got to league with that <laughs> intact, along with his skill. Like, I just feel like you got to find more ways to grow and more ways to score to get the league to new levels. We can't score the same way you scored 100 years ago because where's the game growth going to go? I don't know that growing the game is uh, some of these guys' top priority. What they want is the best possible version of the old game. They don't, like, I and I disagree. I mostly disagree with them on that, but I will say growing the game is not my top priority either. If there was something that we could do that would bring twice as many fans to the game, but would make me not enjoy it, I would not want that to happen. Um, I don't understand why they don't enjoy these high skill plays like great stick handling. That is part of the game. I don't yeah. think there's anything weird or offensive about being able to scoop the puck up. That is just cool. That's uh, impressive that they could do it. If they had the, like one of the reasons why that's possible is because sticks have changed and like even puck wax uh, existing is a part of why that's so <laughs> much more doable right now. If Bobby Hall could have scooped the puck up, he would have, but the equipment really wasn't in position for that to be as doable as it is for Trevor Zegris. If you went back in time and gave him modern wax tape and really especially sticks, uh, he absolutely would have been doing that move. That's why that uh, move suddenly came into being. That's like a natural part of the evolution is absolutely part of the game. I don't understand the resistance to that. But um, yeah, I don't know. I think, like, to me, the, the key part here is the score. I feel like people are missing that. I remember when the U.S. women's soccer team ran up the score against Thailand, and there was a big debate on, is it cool to run up the score or not? It's I'm fine with running up the score. I Like, we keep saying, we're all adults here. You're playing in a competitive league. I don't think you're under any obligation to not score. But at a certain point, I like I found it quite uh, <laughs> distasteful how much celebrating the U.S. women's team was doing at 11 nothing. I thought that was embarrassing um, to them. And I don't think Zegers was digging that hard at the puck. Like, I, if I'm being honest, I think the fight afterwards was not justified. But it doesn't bother me that the Coyotes were like, stop trying that hard to score. Like, you can try, but you don't uh, don't go up to the line as to, like, digging at the goalie. Like, I don't know. They're human <laughs> beings. I think they're going to react with some pride. That is, uh, that's that's normal to me. And you mentioned that that um, USA Thailand game, Stephen. You know what? What difference is that? Is that Thailand was clearly a very inferior nation to, at, at that yeah. point compared to the USA. It I agree. Like, it's not a one to one comparison. Yeah, exactly. It wasn't. So you know what? In the and format, I know issue. I know problems with the, with, the, with the score line. You know what? Is the tournament where goals for mattered? So you know what? Go ahead and go ahead and score all you need to score. That's what that's what tribute works. You have you, you do need to probably score for a tiebreaker, but the celebrations, I was the same way. It's like you know what, come on, like Thailand is not your equal in any way, shape, or form, and you're still celebrating like it's a one-one game against Canada. Like that means like yeah, you've made your point already in that. Score as much as you want, 
but scoring on an 18 year old goaltender at 10 nothing and celebrating like it was a, the gold medal of goals, like, all right. <laughs> um, yeah, great. Uh, that's true. And I get I, you guys will, I'll say you have talked me into what I think I already thought, but it's just more clear in my mind that I think that like Jay Beagle beating up Troy Terry, who wasn't even there. I don't think it's okay to be that upset that you're losing, that you punch a guy in the face a bunch of times. It's fine with me that he's going to get fined or suspended uh, or his coach will. Somebody is going to get fined or suspended from that. Um, that is fine with me also. I think that. Well, and ultimately on that one, if he punches Zegers in the face, that's the guy to punch in the face because yeah. he's the one who's digging <laughs> in the goalie's pads. Even though Terry comes in kind of like ready to defend his teammate, he's not the guy that needs to get punched in the face if anyone needs to get punched in the face. Yeah. Um, but I don't know. I think that the, I think that what that shows is he wasn't really that mad at anyone in particular. He was just mad that they were losing five, nothing. Um, which I think that people like, Oh, this is part of the culture that we're trying to get rid of. We want a different culture in there. I, I mean, I don't know. This might be getting too deep into a, like just philosophy in general. Anytime you're saying one culture is better than another culture, I think that you have a surprisingly hard time making objective arguments for why that is. It usually just comes down to, well, I prefer it this way and he prefers it that way. And it's just preference versus preference. Um, but I, for concussion reasons, I basically think that you're right. We're, we do need to move the game away from people getting repeatedly punched in the head. Um, it's kind of, if I'm chuckling, it's because that's a debate. Like, yeah, obviously we have to move away from people just getting punched in the head. I understand why it sucks to be, uh, JB in that situation, but, ah, you're getting paid millions of dollars to put up with that. So you guys have kind of brought me around a little bit. Um, anyways, unless anybody else has to, that kind of took up all our around the league time. The only, most of the other points I had to bring up weren't that interesting other than, a man died. Are we right? Wrong to celebrate? <laughs> a lot of people are pretty openly pumped that Eugene Melnick is dead. Uh, you know, he's a person with loved Who's ones. Pumped? Uh, I've seen a lot of people on, who are like, oh, this is great news for the Ottawa Senators franchise, which they're they're almost certainly right about. Um, this is great news for the Ottawa Senators franchise. He was famously, I'd say, by far the worst owner in the league. Um, but uh yeah, I haven't seen anyone being too over the top in their celebration, but a lot of people have like acknowledged, oh, this is good news for that franchise. Oh, jeez. Wow. Well, there you go. Every saying yeah, yes, I've, we are wrong I've to seen, celebrate. This is a human I, I don't life. But I have seen some of that discussion where it's just like, I mean, it could be worse, you know, like that kind of, you know, he could still be the owner. And I'm like, yeah, okay, man just died, but all right. The best thing that ever happened, I shouldn't say ever, but one of the best things that happened to the Chicago Blackhawks uh, franchise was their owner died. And then a new guy came in, changed everything, and they started winning cups. You know, I'll say it for Melnick. Melnick, um, Ian Mendez wrote a great piece on on Athletic about how his legacy is very complicated because at the same time, yes, he saved senators from either relocation or outright folding because in 2003, they missed payroll. For a pro sports team, the big four to miss payroll is a huge old crap moment if any one of those teams misses a payroll. And he came in and saved them from bankruptcy and not and being who knows where they would have been without him. At the same time, though, he did have his issues, spats with players, fans, the media, 
I mean, Ian Mendes wrote himself that he used to talk to um, uh, Melnick every day. And two years ago, Melnick didn't like him, didn't like a company he made on the radio in Ottawa. And he didn't talk to him ever again the rest of his life. So there are moments with Melnick where there was there was good and there was bad. It's a thing where, yes, you don't like anybody, you want anybody to die, and you want anybody to die to, at, at his age of 62. But it's like, yeah, he was quite young. He was younger yeah. than I realized. Mm-hmm. Like, Ian put it a great way, you know. Yes, he mourned the loss, but his legacy is very complicated, and it's not easy to to, to eulogize him in one or two words. It's impossible. That is true. He is a complicated figure, as are we all. The human tapestry is woven with many colors. Right? Uh-huh. Agreed. All right. Can we all talk right. about something sportsy but not hockey-related before we go on to whatever else you have? Mm, yes. Um, Avery, can we talk about the soccer, the World Cup qualification? Sure. Oh, um, so I think it's, it's, it's a thing, right? I mean, we've talked about obviously like, you know, Olympic hockey and, and whatever. Um, I think this is a pretty big deal for like a whole bunch of reasons. Like I was 11 when, uh, Canada and Brazil played that friendly, um, in Commonwealth stadium and my parents and I went and like, my parents are not soccer people in the slightest and so but it was like they sort of recognized this is a big deal we should go and watch it and I don't think I realized when I was 11 how big of a deal it was that Canada the men's national team tied Brazil in a friendly um at that time like in in the early 90s um anyway watching this like World Cup qualifying run has been very fun I even like yesterday morning watched like the World Cup draw which like I have never cared about before ever in my life um, and I watched it and I think that this is very cool. And Avery, I know you're way more plugged in, uh, with soccer in Canada than I am. So like, what are your thoughts? Uh, you know what? Seeing, seeing that draw was, and just seeing the men being in that spot was incredible because first of all, it was at the Canada Jamaica game to get them into the world cup and BMO field was two hours before the game, full shaking, going wild. And when Canada, when the final whistle hit, when Canada won 4-0, that stadium full-on erupted because there were people there who had, there were people there who saw the the World Cup in 86 as the one time. There are people there who had never seen a World Cup team before in their life. And uh, they were uh, on field. Um, a few guys worked in media. Craig Forrest played for Canada years ago, never made it to, into a World Cup. And you can see he was emotional. Dwayne DiRosario played for Canada for years and years and years and years. Never got close to World Cup. And these guys were very emotional about Canada making it. And I just think it's really cool because this is the biggest sporting event in the world. And Canada, Canada soccer culture is growing more and more. This is the, this, I believe, the second most sport, second most played sport in the country outside of hockey. And this is a team that has, has been probably one of the greatest examples of in football in long time of the of the diaspora because you got players Canada embraced dual national players Canada finally embraced players who have dual nationalities with England Portugal they've tapped into look at Alfonso David look at his story look at Jonathan David their story has been incredible and it's thrilling to see Canada be respected as a World Cup nation on the men's side for a long time because for a very long time there were guys who played for Team Canada who played in Europe who they would say, hey, go back, go back to Canada's camp to train with them or for a tournament. And they would get laughed at. They would get full-on laughed at by their teammates in Germany or England because they said, Canada? You ain't going to do anything in Canada. What? That, that program's garbage. So to see this program finally evolve to be one that's respected 
it is so dang cool because for decades, they were in the wilderness of soccer. Yeah, yeah, it's neat. Well, and, and for me, like, the thing that I think is really cool is that you mentioned, like, how finally, like, you know, Canada soccer is, like, embrace, you know, the dual nationalities. I think that's the coolest part is that you've got these guys who could have played elsewhere, right? They could have played for Mexico or Colombia or Portugal or mm-hmm. um, the Americans, right? Like Jonathan David uh, could have played for the U.S. And, yeah. and But they've chosen to play for Canada, which I think is a really cool thing that you have that, you know, have that ability now to to make that decision and not be laughed at um because you're right that was definitely a thing where people were getting laughed at um before and so yeah it's just it's been very cool and like at my school so many of our kids are like so big into soccer at school it's just like they're so excited about it and they're so excited that hopefully Edmonton's going to be like a host city for in 2026 so they can like maybe go see a world cup match like they're just so 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 stoked about all of these possibilities um and it's like it's pretty cool and it's, it's been fun to it's been fun to watch and it's been nice the my dad and I were talking about it when they qualified and my dad was like it was really nice to see the Canadian flag out in a group of people who weren't angry at the government and I was like boy isn't that true that is true also great great point so I don't uh follow soccer but I'm happy to finally see our country in league with uh Cameroon which is another sea country that also comes up on things when you have to fill out what country you're from. It's nice True. that, uh, yeah, I'm happy. Also, while we were talking, uh, some micro stats on Darnell Nurse got released. His defense has like shot through the roof. Not so much that it's great, but it used to be considered poor. And uh, now it's good to pretty good. And the big change has been in, um, yeah, in entry denials and entries with chances against, carries against. Like, uh, it's, yeah, basically his rush defense has gotten significantly better. So, cool. That's great. I still That's don't think fun. he's going to be the seventh best defenseman in the league, even though he is the seventh highest paid going into next season. But, um, you know, it's better than not being better, you know? That's true. Yeah, absolutely. That's fair. All right, Megan, I believe it's your turn to ask us highly personal questions. Okay. Uh, excellent. Where did they go? Um, okay. I found this is from like the Bruce questionnaire, um, which was popularized by Marcel Proust, but not like he didn't invent them. Um, and I was actually doing some lesson planning and ran across that I had this in there. And I was like, Oh, I'm going to pull this up and save this. Uh, so these are just three questions. Marcel um, Proust was of course the Belgian detective. Yes. <sighs> You're the worst. Um, Anyway, so the belief, of course, is that if you answer all of these questions, and there are 35 altogether, that you sort of reveal your true nature. So the first question um, that I'm going to ask is, what is your greatest extravagance? Uh, Travel. I have spent a lot of uh, money traveling around the world. I've done a lot of traveling, and I think it seems just easily justifiable within the limits of like Canadian culture but when I think globally I'm like oh I've spent enough money I probably could have uh, saved several human lives if I decided to put that towards charitable endeavors Um, yeah but that's by far my biggest extravagance not even just the money I've spent but the time I've spent not working because I went like I've taken years off to uh, travel and while I was living 
very cheaply. And so I didn't feel like I was rich. That is an incredible luxury. Mm -hmm. Avery, what about you? These traveling games. I'd probably say it's, it's travel as well, too. I would obviously say it's travel. I'm someone who, I am someone who, before COVID, had the ability to say, you know what? I need to take, I need to get out of Edmonton. I'll go to Vegas for a few days. That was my life before COVID hit. I could just go to Vegas or I'd go to, I have the ability to go to England for a cover a week or two. I go to Hawaii. Yeah, before, yeah, before COVID hit, travel was definitely my biggest extravagance, being able to just get out of here and go to Europe and go to the U.S. when I wanted to. <laughs> I'll maybe even add to that time spent not working. I have always prioritized um, enjoying my life over making as much money as possible. And I think as I was growing up, that was seen uh, like culturally as like, oh, that's very enlightened of you. Um, but I think uh, something which is starting, I don't think it's quite become popular, but is starting to become more popular in uh, mainstream consciousness is the idea that Hey, you can actually do an awful lot with money. Money isn't necessarily an evil. It sort of depends on how you view it. So by choosing to make significantly less than you could have, you've elected to do significantly less good than you could have because you wanted to be relaxed. So that would be time off is my other greatest extravagance. I would say for me, yeah, I think, yeah. I mean, I don't, uh, my job sort of limits the kind of travel that I can do, unfortunately, just because... Um, as we talk about money, like, it's just, I don't know if people know this, but like, if you're, if you're a teacher, it's very expensive to take time off during the school year. Um, cause it depends on your school board and whatever, but like, I don't know, I think in our school board, we get like two or three days a year that we can take off where we don't have to like pay our salary out, um, and like lose pay. Ultimately we don't get personal, we, we can have as much unpaid personal time as we want, but it's unpaid. Um, and so it, it becomes like incredibly expensive to do so. So I don't travel as much as I would maybe like to, but for me, I think my greatest extravagance, honestly, is like buying and collecting books. I think that's probably, I have spent, I don't know, thousands and thousands of dollars on the books that I own. And I just got one delivered to me today uh, that came from the UK. And I was so excited when I like got when the doorbell rang this morning. Um, I almost forgot about this podcast and I sat down and started reading. Um and I was just like very excited about it. And I have no qualms whatsoever about being able to drop a hundred or 200 or $300 on books at any one time. Like that doesn't bother me at all. Yeah. Uh, an interesting um, okay. Bum, bum, bum. Okay. Um, if you were to die and come back as an object, what would it be? Hmm. Whether you're a sentient object like in Beauty and the Beast, I don't particularly care. Just if you wanted to, if you were to come back as an object, what object would you want to be? Wait, if I'm not um, sentient, I, I'll be honest, I have no, uh, I don't care. Well, maybe sentient, but I don't know if you can communicate. Like, you know what okay. I mean? I think you might be the only, yeah. like, sentient object around. You don't have object friends to talk to. Hmm. I suppose, um, I'm tempted to say car just because that gets to move around a lot, interact with people, see some things. That seems interesting. A lot of people talk about their car as if it has a personality. Even you know, I'm not saying it's talking and magical like in Beauty and the Beast, but you're like, ah, this old girl will never let me down or whatever. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, okay. That sounds, sounds that. like a good one. Hmm, an object. 
I feel uh, I don't want to be, be like a, a big cat, like a jaguar or a lion. That's because... a thing. That's not an object. Oh, thing. That's an oh just fine. Object. Fine. Object. Hmm. What's an object? Hmm. Rules of the no. game, Avery. Come on. Fine. Oh, come on. I was. I'll take. I'll take creative. I'll take liberties with it. I'll take creative liberties. Be a back scratcher. That brings a lot of joy to people. A back scratcher. <laughs> right now, there's a, there's a lot of bad skin out there, so I don't really want to be a back scratcher. <laughs> uh, back scratch. Hmm. Let's see. Let's see. I think we are. Uh, I mean, I, you know, it's gonna be a weird one. I think uh, refrigerator. Be, be, fridge would be funny, because yo, seeing what people would put in me would be hilarious. Just seeing the eating habits of people would be funny as hell to see. Just see. I hope be a great refrigerator, man. I hope that whoever, if you come back as a refrigerator, I hope that the person uh, who owns you exclusively makes rare steak. <laughs> um, I, yeah. That's what I hope for you. What a yeah, beautiful thing for one friend to say to another. I hope you suffer for eternity. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, and, 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 and bowls of milk and cereal, eh? Yes, absolutely. Um, I think I would like to come back as a fountain pen. I was thinking um, about saying pen. Because I really enjoy writing still, like, for myself. And I just, like, I think... And I also like to, like, write by hand. Lots of stuff that I do even for like courses that I take or whatever, I still write by hand and then I type everything out. I think a fountain pen would be cool because there's that like communication aspect or whatever and you'd be like involved in the creation of something. And I say a fountain pen because I think there's a certain type of person who has a fountain pen. So I wouldn't just be for like writing grocery lists. Ah, fair enough. Um, okay, and this is sort of tangentially related, but it was the first question that I read and I was like, oh no, I want to do this one. Uh, how would you like to die? Oh, I I know this answer. I would like to be uh, ripped apart by a pack of wolves, ideally. Um, hopefully <laughs> for some kind of reason, you know? Like, there's somehow I'm heroically allowing the other people to escape from the wolves or something. That would be ideal. If I could save, like, a small child somehow. But I would like to go down swinging, and I think it would be more fun to go down swinging against uh, a wild animal or a group of wild animals. That... Uh, you know, as as one stab said, it is a good death. So, well, we've had this conversation sort of before you and I, and I'm surprised you didn't immediately say bear. But as soon as you said that you want to be ripped apart, it made me think of that scene in Parks and Rec where uh, Ron Swanson has his will that he wrote when he was eight years old about dividing his stuff up or giving his stuff to the animal that killed him. And I just sort of, that's just what I imagine for you. Yeah. Please. Oh, yeah, absolutely. If I'm ever killed by an animal, I would like to encourage everyone to not destroy the animal. Just let it go. It earned it. Uh, no hard feelings. That is okay. much, much like the Zegris thing. That's how she goes, you know? That's that's the, <laughs> that's the global culture. Is Sometimes an animal eats you. No hard feelings on my part. If you wish, you can tranquilize it and remove it so it doesn't eat anybody else. I don't want it eating any children. That's why I was fighting it. But... Um, you know, fair fair play uh, to whoever eats me. And if any human kills me, uh, take revenge against them unless they agree to eat me. That is the situation that uh, <laughs> I forego all vengeance. They have to eat me. Okay. Start with my Avery? ass. <laughs> See, I, I firmly will believe, I, I still believe anyone who doesn't say dying of old age is a liar. Because why do you want a horrible death? I'm the guy who keeps who will say until my last breath, dying in old age, like 145 or something crazy like that. There is no way I want to go in some horrible, painful way to go. There is no way in hell I want that to happen to me. 
<laughs> you want to explode fair. in so front of everybody? Gonna, Exploding I'm in gonna, front of everybody would be pretty sweet too. I'm gonna <laughs> so I'm gonna like here. I I don't want to say I have a plan because it's not quite a plan. <laughs> um, need to do an intervention. <laughs> No, 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 no. It's nothing like that. But one of the things that I think about sometimes, because I have no siblings, um, not going to have kids, there's a very good chance that I'm going to be single for the rest of my life. And that's okay. I don't care about those things. But I've thought long and hard about who's going to clean up my shit after I die. Because, you know, like, as you know, as your parents get older, you maybe start thinking about some of those things. So my thought is, to sell all of my things, sell my house, whatever, and then just drive my car off a cliff and oh, just like Thelma and Louise. And just, and then everything's tidy, everything's sold, all of my affairs in order. I'm not saying anytime soon, maybe when I'm like 85, I don't know. But then that way it's just clean and it's looked after and nobody has to like do a welfare check on me and be like, oh, we haven't heard from her for a while and find my like decomposing body you know, in my recliner. I don't want that. I think that would be horrifying. And so I feel like if I could orchestrate it so that I could live a long full life and then choose to go when it's when it's time and tidy it all up, I think that would be the most efficient way to do so. Yeah, that's the yeah. Flying off a cliff is pretty sweet. And then I because I even talked about this with my parents and my dad was like, what is wrong with you? And my mom's like, no, I definitely get it. She's like, because then the people that are tasked with cleaning it up are like, rescue worker like you know first responders like that kind of thing and not your friend or a cousin or you know something like that so anyway mm-hmm. that's what i think no that's that's but yeah that all checks out then you can do but something no, with the money also especially if you have no uh you know no one who the money's getting willed to you can sell all your stuff and then do whatever you want with it with the mm-hmm. money, you can have like a good mm-hmm. last week or give it to your favorite charitable cause. So you're full of self-righteousness as you go flying off the cliff. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, it's all great. You can pack the car with dynamite. jeez. <laughs> oh, I knew at least one of you would appreciate my plan. Yeah, no, that's a good plan. Avery, terrible plan. <laughs> hey, man, ain't no, ain't no need for no dramatic, painful way to go. That's, that's but, all I see it as. Oh man, you want to feel alive until the very last moment. It would also be nice to be able to like contemplate death as it is happening to you. Like the thing that I want the least is to go in my sleep. I would like to be like, ah, oh, so this is dying, hmm, and then uh, really experience that. <laughs> Ideally, I would like to not die, as I feel like all death, even a glorious one, is still some kind of defeat. You are losing to someone, even if you are losing to death itself. Um, so I'm not psyched about the idea of dying. I don't spend much time thinking about dying. I think uh, that Tristan was a fool to go looking for his good death. Um, yeah, but it was a good death. It was a good death. But death is more, it's not its own event. I don't actually view death as its own event. We're like, and here's how he died. It was more like you live for a certain amount of time and then you stop living. It's like, if you draw a line on a page, you're not like, there's the end of the line. How about that? Like the that's just, the line just ends. It's it's the cessation of things. It's not its own thing. Um, so the more important thing to focus on is the line itself, which maybe sounds obvious, but that is how I feel, and that's why I try not to spend too much time meditating on mortality. So on the on Friday night, as sort of as a a, a little anecdote, I was at a, at a friend's house, and she's got a two year old and a four year old, 
and they, their cat just died about a month and a half ago. And the two-year-old was telling me that Oscar, their cat, had died. And I was like, oh, really? And I said, I knew Oscar before you were born. And she was like, well, he's dead. I'm like, I understand that. And then she says, I died before I was born. And I was like, really? Tell me more. And uh, yeah, she's convinced that this is not her first lifetime. Uh, and then another uh, friend's kid that I was hanging out with yesterday told me that he wants to stay five forever and just be immortal. Hey, me too. That's what I and wanted never when die. I was five also. So anyway. Yeah, anyway, that kid's got it figured out. I think so. But I will also I add, so. as someone who was constituted very similarly, I get the impression that life is easier if you're happy about growing up. Yeah, probably. That that's, it's a sweet blessing while you're young to think that ah, being young is sweet. But then, uh, like to compare myself to my dad, who thinks being an adult is sweet, um, that seems like an advantage in adulthood to be happy about moving through the stages of life and not resentful about something that you can't change and that is natural and normal. I feel like this oh. got a lot more philosophical than anyone was expecting today. I apologize hey, for that. You want to you want to go back to uh, the relativity between cultures and how actually tricky it is to argue that one culture is better than another? Why is new hockey culture better than old hockey culture? <laughs> Eventually, you're it's just going to come down to your own aesthetic preferences. Even when you're like, oh, this one hurts less people. Why is that good? Once you let go of God, you've let go of any objective outside criteria for grading anything. You are just declaring yourself a little God capable of bestowing criteria upon other things. And you really can't do that. It's, uh, it's, it's tough to get to any kind of objective measurement of good or bad. Okay. I don't disagree with you. Thank you. But okay. I don't disagree with me either, which I'm not <laughs> saying that that is an argument for God, for the record. I'm not, this is not a religious claim. I'm saying I think society is still coming to terms with uh, what it means to be moving into a post-religious life. I don't think it's widely appreciated just how much work religion was doing for us. And I think we see people replacing religion in their lives with things like sports or opinions on COVID or politics. They're just finding a new church. Yeah, I think that's probably fair. And that's why people get so like so passionately defensive about the thing that they think about the thing that has replaced the spirituality in their lives. We all need meaning. We want meaning, and there's very little objective sources of it. So we do our best to create our own, and that's fine. But um, I think it's easier when you know that's what you're doing, but I'm not sure I'm right about that. I think the illusion might be important. Well, there you go. Anyway, Avery, thoughts on that? That, that is a very complex debate that I'm not sure people in hockey will enjoy. I'm not sure people in, in, in hockey Twitter world or Twitter will we appreciate this kind of debate. <laughs> you heard it here first, folks. Avery thinks you're stupid. The I rest of us. One of our listeners will definitely appreciate it. He might still be the only actual listener, but I know that he'll appreciate it. You should call in. Are the phone lines open? They are. <laughs> uh, sorry. I'm told told we're having problems with the phone lines. Uh, <laughs> maybe maybe call next in. time. Call in next time. Uh, we'll yeah, take some live calls. Well, Oh, hey, here's a fun note. Keith Yandel's uh, NHL Ironman streak is being broken by a coach's decision. That's so uh, stupid. The Flyers are so god-awful terrible. Who cares? He's 11 games away from 1,000, and they're breaking it now. Yeah, I'm going to tell you what. Great. It's good. This is a good call. It is cheap and not in the spirit of the streak to just keep putting him in if he's not worthy of being played. The thing that makes the Ironman streak impressive is that not – 
not just that you stayed healthy for a thousand games, but that you were able to be good enough to contribute that long. You know who else's streak got broken by a coach's decision? Doug Jarvis. Mm-hmm. If you're 950 games into your NHL career, you're probably getting old and starting to get kind of crappy. And Keith uh, Yandel is kind of crappy this year. The only reason he hasn't already been benched is because coaches didn't want to be the one to break the streak. Uh, it is, to, to be honest, it's not fair to the guys chasing him if they just artificially inflate the streak like this. Uh, it, it This gives the streak integrity to have it ended now. Yeah, that's fair. But it just feels like, I mean, I guess, and it's still 11 games away from 1,000. If it was like two games away from 1,000, that feels like real bad. I will admit that since the Flyers are this crappy, I probably would have let him take it to 1,000 and then ended it there. Like, okay, you hit 1,000 on the nose, but I'm not. It was nice of them to let him set the record at all. Yeah, that's fair. Any other, if he had, if he had gotten the, someone else pointed out, if he'd gotten the flu five years ago, he would have been benched for most of this season. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That, yeah, that does make sense. Okay. Another, uh, to just take your side and a good argument that I saw going the other way is this is history. What is actually on the line for the flyers? Anything? Uh, mm-hmm. Just let them set history. History's fun. Do something cool. Yeah. yeah. So. Like how, give, give the fans, like they traded away their, their you know face of their franchise and all these sorts of things like give them something to root for for the rest of the season sure um i don't have anything more to talk about do you have anything more to talk about uh nope that's it for me avery fedora i i will just (laughs) as per usual i will plug the good old-fashioned twitter account at avery at avry find my content pieces videos articles and my world-renowned food takes on there, which you can get hot and ready. Uh, yep, I have no <laughs> shows coming up to promote, so I'll say check out Avery's food takes. Uh, <laughs> some of them, he's, he's right sometimes, you know? Every now and then he says something controversial and it's correct. Nothing jumps to mind, but I believe that it's happened. <laughs> oh, what you said, Raisin Bran. Raisin Bran's not good. Avery's right. Terrible cereal. Yeah, raisins are gross in general. That's just food that's gone bad. You leave something out in the sun, you don't improve it. It's bad now. Uh, So, yeah, just eat bran flakes. They're delicious. Okay, I don't have anything to plug either because I haven't written anything useful or worth reading in a very long time. Um, But, um, yeah, you should uh, maybe check out the Oilers rig. I feel like there's some people doing some writing there, and I don't really know much about what's going on. Um, People doing writing. It's great. Yeah. Check it out. I'll just maybe brag, use this while we're on air. Uh, Megan went to one of my shows, and it was the least terrible one I think we've done. It was very funny. I enjoyed it very much. Yeah, it was unterrible. And I was glad, because she brought friends, and I didn't want to embarrass her in front of her friends for being associated (laughs) with something terrible. And it was unterrible. (laughs) No, and my friends all thought it was funny, too. My friend, uh, One of my friends has a very distinctive laugh, which I'm sure you noticed. I did. And... She's my favorite person to go to anything where there might be laughter at because her laugh makes me laugh. She has a great laugh. I thought about uh, putting the spotlight on you, but I decided not to. I very much appreciated that. You're welcome. Okay, we're rambling. Goodbye. We are.